invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the New Testament, to the book of Second Peter. And we are in a study through the book, and today we'll be just looking at three verses in Second Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8, 9, and 10 of Second Peter 3. I'm going to read those out loud, and you all can follow along in your copy of the, of the Bible. So 2 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8, 9, and 10. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. In our series through Second Peter, we have noted that Peter started this letter out in chapter 1, by encouraging his readers on to a deeper level of maturity, to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And he argues that we have been equipped as Christians with everything that we need. At the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we've been equipped with everything that we need to live for him. But as we came to chapter 2, Peter gives us a warning that there is a major obstacle to spiritual growth, and that is an obstacle put up by people, mockers, false teachers, who want nothing more than to actually pull people away from Jesus. Oh, they, they, they like to talk like Christians, they look like Christians, they infiltrate the church, but in reality, their hearts are far from Jesus. They're concerned about self. And they literally try to detract people, their focus away from the Lord and onto them. One of the things that they have been doing in, at the time of the writing of this letter is arguing that Jesus is not coming back, therefore we can live our lives any way we want. He hasn't come to this point. I don't think he's coming at all. So we can just live life to the fullest. Do what you want. There's no consequence. That's the message of the false teachers of Second Peter chapter 2. Well, as we came to chapter 3, Peter returns to some of the same themes that he started the letter out with in chapter 1. The need to grow. The need for maturity. The need for personal holiness. The need to walk in a way that people can see Jesus Christ in our lives. And Peter attacks these false statements of these mockers. He says that Jesus is coming back. In fact, in verses 6, 7, and 8 that we looked at 
two weeks ago. Peter said that their argument is false, that Jesus has broken through history in the past. He is going to break through history in the future. He is coming back. Now, most likely what's happening here is that these mockers, these false teachers, just continue to attack, continue to attack, continue to attack. And the churches themselves are starting to become discouraged. They're starting to question, well, is he? Is he going to return? In fact, Peter himself wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he said, the end of all things is near. And so the churches themselves are starting to question, well, you told us that his return was near. It hasn't come yet. Are these false teachers right? And so Peter is going to share with his readers a couple of reasons why their perception is that Jesus' return is delayed. And then he's going to assure them that, yes, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back for his people. And he's also coming back as judge upon those who stand in rejection of Jesus. And he's going to share this, that when he comes back, he will do so without warning. Just like a thief in the night. I have a friend who is a grain farmer. Has no livestock, but farms a lot of ground, all grain. And because he has no livestock, there's not really a reason for him to live near the farm. And so he lives in a larger city about an hour away from his farm ground. A couple of years ago, he went out, uh, drove up to the farm went out to his shop only to find that someone had backed a truck up to his shop, broken the locks, and completely emptied out his shop. Had a brand new welder. They stole that. They took all of his tools. Anything that wasn't bolted down, they took. They didn't send a a postcard in the mail. They didn't say, Dear Scott, just thought you would like to know that next Thursday night at 2 a.m., I'm planning on backing a truck up to your shop, and we're going to take all of your stuff. Now, they didn't do that. They didn't send a postcard. They didn't give a phone call saying, we are going to rob you. They just did it. They just took his stuff. They just came without warning. They came unexpectedly. And here, Peter is going to say, There are those who say Jesus isn't coming back. Well, he is. In fact, he's coming back as Savior and as judge. And when he comes back, it will be without warning. Just like a thief in the night. Now, Peter, in verses 
5, 6, and 7 was still addressing the arguments of these mockers, these false teachers. But when he comes to verse 8, he specifically is talking to the churches. He's talking to people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians. Notice with me in verse 8, he refers to them as beloved. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wants to encourage them that Jesus is coming. Even though it's been a long time, and it's been a long time for us, way past the writing of this letter. And Peter's words are just as addressed to us today as they were to the readers here in 2 Peter 3. Even though it's been a long time, Peter is going to give us two reasons for this perceived delay. And he's going to share these two truths. One reason why we perceive or think that it's been a long delay is we view time much differently than the Lord does. And the second reason why we perceive a delay is because Jesus has not come back because God is patiently waiting for people to repent. So those are two glimpses that Peter gives us as to why Jesus has not yet returned. Glimpse number one, reason number one is in verse 8. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. By saying that, Peter is not saying, don't expect Jesus to come back today. That's not what he's saying at all. Rather, he's saying, be patient. God's view of time is much different than our view of time. For us, we think it's been a terribly long delay since Jesus died on the cross and rose again and went to be at the right-hand side of the Father. It's been a long time in our scheme of things. And from an eternal perspective, from God's perspective, it's just been a blip. It's just been a day. It's just been a blip of time. So Peter says... Our perception is wrong. We perceive that God has been long coming. That Jesus' return has been, is way overdue. In fact, the false teachers are saying he's not coming at all or he would have come by now. Peter says, no, don't be impatient. God's view of time is much different than your view and my view. The second thing that Peter says here as far as why Jesus has not yet returned is found in verse 9. Verse 9 says, and also think about this, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Notice he says, now, some, most likely meaning these mockers, 
these false teachers that are saying Jesus was supposed to come. He hasn't come. I don't think he's coming. I think that's a crock. We can just live however we want to live. If he was coming, he would have come by now. Peter here in verse 9 says, well, some people think that his return is slow. But the Lord is not slow about his promise, his promised return. But this is why he has delayed. But he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Here we have a statement about the very heart of God. God's desire is that no one would perish. The New Testament makes it very clear that because of the sin of humankind, that all that we deserve is eternity separated from God. The scripture is also clear that unless we trust in the one provision that God has made for us to be right with him, Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity separated from him. That is what it means to perish. For example, the Apostle Paul talks about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 when he says this, For after all, verse 6, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. You see, there is an eternity waiting for people who stand in rejection of Jesus Christ, an eternal destruction. Here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says that the Lord does not wish for any to perish. That's God's heart. He doesn't want to see one person go to that eternal dwelling place apart from his presence, which the New Testament refers to as hell. Rather, he desires for all to come to repentance. The way Peter uses the word repentance here, he's talking about a total change of course. The New Testament shares with us that each and every one of us are rebellious. Each and every one of us are walking away from Jesus. Each and every one of us have hearts that are hardened to Jesus. It's as if we are walking away and we have our fist up to him saying, I reject you. I don't need you. Repentance is when we finally come to that point. We've been walking away from Jesus Christ and we finally come to the point where we recognize I'm separated from God. My sin separates me from him. 
He's holy. I'm a sinner. I've done things. I've thought things that are contrary to his character. I've done things and thought things that violate what he says is right. And I can't fix that. I can't do enough good things to put on a scale to outweigh my bad. I cannot be a good enough person to make things right with God. And I need a Savior. Repentance is when we turn around and come to the person of Jesus Christ. Turning to Him. Believing that He is God. Believing that He died for my sin on the cross. Believing that He rose again from the dead. Proving His claim to be God. I repent when I stop rejecting Jesus Christ and I turn and I come toward him and I transfer the dependence of my life from myself thinking I can be a good enough person to have merit with God and put my total dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. Here, Peter says in verse 9, that's God's heart for every person. That's God's heart he doesn't want to see one person spend eternity separated from him. That's his wish. That's his heart. That's his desire. But God did not create people as puppets on a string. People choose to reject Jesus. And Peter has already told us in chapter 3 that some will reject him. Even though God's desire is for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, some will still reject. In fact, we saw in the end of chapter 3, verse 7, in the end of verse 7, it says that by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the days of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Some will reject him. But we have a God whose heart, his desire, is that every person would put their trust in Jesus. These mockers have been saying, he's not coming. If he was coming, he'd been here by now. And Peter is trying to get us, his readers, to take a step back, to see a bigger picture, to recognize, well, yeah, but God's timing is much different than ours. And from an eternal perspective, God hasn't delayed at all. It's just a blip. And the reason why Jesus has not yet come back is because we have a Heavenly Father who is patient, who is loving, who has a heart that desires each and every person to place their trust in Jesus so that they can be with the Father forever and ever through the Son. There's an artist that I have for a long time enjoyed her work. Her name is Bev Doolittle. Some of you have maybe seen her artwork, her prints. They, they uh, are along the theme of the American West and Native Americans. And Bev Doolittle specializes in what she refers to as camouflage technique. When you look at one of her paintings, 
you can look at it and maybe just see a bunch of rocks and a waterfall. But if you step back away from the painting, you'll notice that in reality, that painting is much more than just rocks and a waterfall. As you step back, you'll see the image of a Native American warrior in that painting. Or you'll see the image of some horses running. Or you'll see the image of some animals. When you look close, all you see is rocks and water. But when you step back, you get a whole new perspective of what's happening in that painting. And that's what Peter's doing. He's trying to get us to step back and have a broader perspective of what's happening. Just because Jesus has not yet returned does not mean that he isn't coming. Two reasons. One, God's view of time is much different than ours. And two, Jesus has not yet returned because God is patient and he has a heart that wants to see more and more people repent to stop walking away from Jesus and come to him through faith. If you are here this morning and you know in your heart that you have never put your trust in Jesus, you have never come to that point where you clearly acknowledge before God, I'm a sinner and I can't fix it. I need a Savior. And put your trust, your dependence, your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he died on a cross for your sin and rose again from the dead. If you have not done that, you can do that today. Just in the quietness of your heart, you can just pray to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus is God, that he died for me and rose again, and I'm putting my trust in him today. If you have not done that yet, I would encourage you At the end of the service, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders will be back in our prayer room. We have some material back there that you can just say, hey, can I have some of that material that talks about how I can be right with God? Or maybe you have someone you'd like to give that material to and work through it with them. You can just stop back in the prayer room and just ask for that material. One of our guys will give you some material that you can take out your own Bible and look up passages of Scripture that show you that it's through faith in Jesus that we can find ourselves being right with God. And Peter says here, that is God's heart. Now I want to make a couple of observations about these two verses in verses 8 and 9. Observation number one. People are solely responsible for rejecting Jesus. People choose to reject Jesus Christ. In fact, there's some verses in Romans chapter 3 that assure us that none of us actually seek after him. Romans 3, starting the reading of verse 10, says there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. That is our heart. God's heart 
is for men and women and boys and girls across the globe to finally come to the point where they put their dependence, their trust, their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Man's heart is I don't want anything to do with him at all. I don't need him. I don't need that crutch. That's our heart. So we're faced with a predicament. Because I'm guessing that each and every one of us in this room have a relative, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker who is right now saying, I don't need Jesus. God's heart is for that person to come to a point where they place their trust in Jesus. How do we respond? Well, one of the main things that the Bible tells us to do is to pray for that person to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 makes that very clear. In fact, he says in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Timothy, First of all, then, I, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. He goes on to say we should not only be praying for those in our webs of relationship, but we should pray for those who govern over us, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And then he says this, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. About a year or so ago, one of our commission missionaries, John North from Australia, was with us. And John challenged us as a church to be praying for people who need Jesus. One of the absolute best ways to pray is to pray scripture. And John shared with us a three-part biblical prayer that we can pray for our relative, for our neighbor, for our coworker. And this is it. Lord, please open a door for me to share the good news with someone else. Open their heart to receive the good news when I share it. Open my mouth. Give me boldness to proclaim the good news. People will not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ only by looking at your life. People need to hear the good news. And I would encourage all of us as a church to continue praying for the salvation of people in our webs of relationship who do not know Jesus. I want to encourage you, we have a mural of our city back in the prayer room right behind you there's a pen on that mural. Take that pen out and write the first names of some people that you want to, to, to be prayed for that they would come to Jesus. I know I personally, and there's others that do the same, come into that room every week 
And I go up to that board, I lay my hand on tops of those names, and I pray for those names. And I had great joy about three weeks ago to take out one of the little cross stickers and put on one of the names that I've been praying for of one who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do we deal with this text? We know that there are people who will reject Jesus Christ. But we also know that we have a God who desires each and every person to come to Jesus. How do I respond to that? I start fervently praying for those in my web of relationship who do not know Jesus Christ, who have not put their faith in him, who have not placed their trust in the person of Jesus Christ. So Peter wants us to take a step back. Don't get discouraged. Yes, it's true. Jesus has not yet come back. But that does not mean that he isn't coming back. Our perception is that he's delayed. But God views time much differently than we do. And God has a reason why Jesus has not yet returned, because of his heart. He wants to see more and more people place their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, just as Peter ended verses 5 through 7 by reminding us that when Jesus does come back, he's coming back not only as Savior, but as judge, we also see a statement of that judgment here in as Peter concludes these three verses in verse 10. And in verse 10, we're going to see that his Jesus' delay may be delayed, but he is coming back. And the last days will come without warning. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now when we talk about the day of the Lord, we see that phrase used here. The Apostle Paul also uses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-11. through 11. We're referring to a period of time. In our view of end days here at Faith Bible Church, we would say that the day of the Lord is inaugurated when Jesus comes back for his church. We refer to it as the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about it. At any moment, it could happen this afternoon, it could happen right now, Jesus is going to return and meet his church in the clouds. Everyone who has already passed away, who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ, their body will be, their physical body will be reconstituted, joined with their inner person, and they will be raised and given a new body. And then all of us who are still alive, we will literally be caught up to the heavens and we will be forever with the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that the scriptures then teach that there will be a seven-year period of great tribulation here on earth that follows that rapture of the church. And at the end of that, Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth and set up his kingdom on earth. 
And for a thousand years, he will reign on David's throne. And at the end of that thousand year period of time, Satan will be released and have one massive attempt to overthrow the person of Jesus Christ and the temp, which will fail. Satan will be cast into hell. There'll be a judgment of all of those who have stood in rejection of Jesus Christ. They will be cast into hell. And then we read here in verse 10 that there will be a reconstitution, a recreation of the heavens and the earth. And what is so important to us now will be destroyed. It says here that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord being a reference to that whole period of time that I just described. The end times. The end times will come on us without a warning. It'll just come. And as part of that day of the Lord, it says that the heavens will pass away with a roar. And I think... The picture here is of when you take a bunch of logs and you put them into a fire, you just think, hear that roar of that burning fire of those logs. And then it says here that the elements, the, the building blocks of the earth will be destroyed. And then it says, destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Some of your translations may say laid bare. And I think whichever direction you go, the concept is there that everything that this earth is so proud of, all of our achievements, ash. They'll be laid bare. They'll be shown for what they truly are, nothing. My over and under shotgun, ash. Your car, ash. Your house that you're so proud of, ash. Everything that we value so much, ash. It's worthless. And then we're going to see later in the book that the Lord is going to create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and Jesus will reign on David's throne here on earth, a recreated earth forever and ever. Peter says, don't think that just because Jesus has not yet come, that he isn't coming. In the county where I like to hunt, there's a new DNR agent, a new DNR officer. And the locals in the area say, oh, this DNR officer is tough. Watch out. You won't find a tougher DNR officer than this new one. Recently, somebody asked us, well, have you seen the new DNR officer? The DNR officer's been on duty for like four years. Never seen the new one. One could start saying, well, I've never seen the new DNR officer. Maybe there isn't a DNR officer. Maybe I don't need to spend $25 on a new duck stamp every year. Maybe I can just go out and shoot a duck without it. I've never seen the DNR officer. Maybe I don't need to go buy a turkey tag. I'll just go shoot a turkey, live off the land. Because I've never seen the DNR officer, I'm guessing there's really not a DNR officer. That's what these mockers have been saying. And Peter says, nope, take a step back. 
Just because you haven't seen Jesus come back yet does not mean that Jesus isn't coming back. He is. He's coming without warning. He's coming as Savior for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. He's coming as judge for those who stand in rejection of him. But he's coming. Next week in verses 11, 12, and 13, we're going to focus in on how this truth should be affecting our everyday lives today. How we should live in light of Jesus' imminent return. But today, Peter simply says this. He's coming. He's coming. And we serve a God who has a heart for people. And one of the reasons why his coming is delayed is not because he isn't coming. It's because we serve a God who is patient toward people, who's merciful, and has a heart that wishes that every person, every man and woman and boy and girl, would stop walking away from Jesus and instead come to him and put their trust in him. How do we respond? 1 Timothy 2. We fervently pray for God to do a work in the hearts of those that we personally know that have not trusted Jesus yet. And we pray and say, God, open a door for me to share the good news about Jesus with this person, with this person. Open their heart so that they will respond to the good news. And open my mouth that I might speak with boldness. You see, God is patiently waiting for people to repent. But the last days are coming without warning. Father, we thank you for this passage and the, for the reminder of the sureness of Jesus' return. Give us a burden for those that we know and for those that we don't know who have no Savior because they have stood in rejection of Jesus. By your Spirit, please, in a growing way, call us as a church to a deeper level of prayer. Give us a burden to pray for people who do not know Jesus. Give us a burden to pray for countries and nations where the vast majority of the people are in darkness who have stood in rejection of Jesus. Father, our prayer is that we would see people as you see them, that we would have in a growing way the heart of our Heavenly Father who desires that all men come to repentance and that no one would perish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.